Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to The John Conn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media. That's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by Greg Cosell, the NFL Films veteran and a key part of ESPN's NFL Matchup Show. He's as smart as they come, folks. Greg and I have been trying to figure out a time to come on the podcast for about three to four months. It just never worked out, so I'm thrilled that it finally did. We talk about the commander's newcomers, why he likes Carson Wentz in this offense, and why he's a big fan of Jahan Dotson and also Brian Robinson. Very few people study this stuff as much as Greg. That's why he's such a knowledgeable analyst. You can follow Greg on Twitter at Greg Cosell, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. I told you last week that I was going to have a story up soon about some key Washington players who have the sort of ceiling that can elevate the commanders. And I did this because, you know, there were a few complaints about Washington did not, that Washington did not get an impact guy in the draft. To me, those impact guys were already on the roster. And I'm going to say about this rookie class, I think those first four picks are going to be able to contribute and play a lot. And that's Dotson and Fedaris Mathis and Robinson and also Percy Butler. Cole Turner, well, let's see how he develops. But I think those first four are going to be guys who are very solid for them, and that's really good. But I agree with you. Like, do they have the high, high ceilings? I don't know. I think they're solid. I think those high ceiling guys were already on the roster. And I didn't write much about Logan Thomas and J.D. McKissick. They're coming back off injuries. Their return is going to be a huge deal. But we know what they can do here because they've been doing it. Some others have not done it consistently enough, or they've shown some and shown the other, but they have, but they're the ones that have the talent to elevate this franchise this year. Anyway, that story is going to be up early this week. After I taped the podcast last week and I told you it was going to be up, I got told by my my editors that it's going to be pushed to this week. So look for it on Monday or Tuesday. Also, Bram Weinstein, the voice of the Washington Commanders, he and I will be doing a mailbag podcast for Wednesday. So if you have a question, hit me up on Instagram at John Kime ESPN, on Twitter at John underscore Kime, or drop us a question on, on our YouTube channel. Again, Empire Media. We'll get to as many questions as we can. It's been a while. It's time for the mailman to deliver. To be honest, I don't have a whole lot else to say right now. So let's get to my conversation with Greg Cosell of ESPN's NFL matchup. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greg, I appreciate you coming on, and, and I have to tell people and tell you, one of my favorite shows to watch, and I watch it every Sunday morning during the NFL season, of course, is NFL Matchup, because the knowledge is is tremendous, and I know the work that you, Greg, and Sal, or you, um, you, Matt, and Sal put into that show, especially for you and Matt, the work you do to get to the point where you can discuss it with, with um, a great deal of confidence. It takes a lot. Ah. It's not just, it's right. It's not just watching the film and saying, Oh, I think this, like what you guys do is tremendous with that. Well, I really appreciate that, John. Look, the bottom line is it just takes work. It's a grind. You have to love it in some ways. I'm almost like a coach in that regard. I just grind away watching tape because I always think there's more and more and more to learn. Because when you think you know, I've always felt that's when you really don't know. There's always more to see, more to learn. In fact, I tell people this all the time, John. When I watch tape, I always think to myself, what are the 10 things I'm missing right. that if a coach was sitting here, he'd point out and I'd say, oh, my God, how, how did I not see that? But I mean, even with the draft, I, I made it through this year, 205 players in great detail that I watched. So, you know, and I'm, I'm a one man scouting service, so it's just me. Um, you know, last weekend, the weekend after the draft was the first weekend I did not work since last August. So, wow. You know, it just takes time. I mean, it takes a ton of time. That's all it is. You have to sit and you have to grind away and you have to watch the tape. You know, and it's funny that you say that too about watch how many times you have to watch because, like, I go back and watch Washington's games every week because there's so much information in there that you can learn. But what I found is you have to watch the same play again and again and again and again. And there are times where on the ninth time I'll watch a play, I'll see something and it's that little aha moment where I say, oh, I just saw the guy turn his head this way. And like, why didn't I see that earlier? But I'm seeing it now. And like that one little nugget gets me excited because I think I found something that may have unlocked what really happened on that. Yep. No, and you're 100% right. And that's why even during the season, sometimes I, I get frustrated because I have, obviously I have my matchup show and that takes a lot of time yeah. um, to do, but I try to watch as many games as I can. I can't get through every game every week. And I know I'm missing some things and it makes me crazy, but it's just not humanly possible for me, particularly when there's a 16 game slate to watch all 16 games, both sides of the ball. It's just, and I wish I could. It's too hard. And you know, what was eye opening for me is when ESPN started doing the, um, for the national championship games that have the coaches show. And so I just, I just think these guys see everything, right? And what, what, what really got me is watching it, there were some high-level coaches watching it, and they'd have to rewind the tape and rewind the tape to piece together the play. Of course. And I thought, okay, you know, like you just think like, oh, I'm just like, – I can't see everything, and uh, they know what to look at. No, they've got to do it too because there's so much information. But you can't watch one play and think you know exactly what happened there. No, and it's funny you say that because obviously social media has become so big now and Twitter in particular, and so many people try to break down plays on Twitter and that's fine. I mean, it just, 
look, right. the more football that's talked about, the better for all of us. That's a great thing. But sometimes I laugh because I'll see a guy do a breakdown and say, wow, I've never seen this concept before. And I look at it and I say, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've seen that concept a thousand times, you know, <laughs> and, and it's just, you know, but it's only because, hey, I'm going into my 43rd season here at NFL Films. So the matchup show, which I created, that was back in 1984, believe it or not, John. So, wow. so I've seen a lot of football. Yes, you have. Well, speaking of watching and, and let's turn to this team. That's why I want to have you on. Yep. In general, you know, Washington has added a few pieces this offseason, especially yep. on offense. I'm just curious in general how you view this team now based on the moves they've made in the offseason. Well, obviously, it starts with the quarterback, Carson Wentz. They, you know, I think uh, Heineke actually did a very nice job last year, given how many games he had to start. And I think we all understand, including the coaching staff, what Taylor Heineke is. Uh, he's probably the kind of quarterback that will play in the league for 10 years, you know, in sort of the Case Keenum, Colton McCoy mold, that if you have to put him out there, you can line up and play with him. But it's not going to get done exactly where you want to go. So they they made the trade for Carson Wentz. Um, Wentz actually had a pretty strong season a year ago. Everybody remembers the final game right. um, where he was really poor against Jacksonville. So I'm really curious in this style of offense. This is a different style of offense than Carson Wentz is used to. The Scott Turner, Kenny Sampisi approach is, is different. There's a little more verticality to it. Mm -hmm. There's a little more push the ball down the field. It's not, it's, I guess if you want to talk about it and be a little philosophical, if you go back through the years, um, and there's offshoots of this, but John, there's really two basic methodologies with offense. And as I said, there's offshoots. So if people are listening and are historians of tactical football, I don't want them to say, well, no, you're wrong. There's obviously offshoots. But if you go back through the years, there's sort of the Bill Walsh offense, right? the West Coast style of offense, which is what Carson Wentz has mostly been schooled in. And there's the sort of the Don Coriel offense, right. which is the Scott Turner, North Turner right. approach. And obviously Scott comes from the Don Coriel, North Turner approach. And they're a little bit different. Um, and the Scott Turner approach is much more of an intermediate vertical pass game. Um, and I think you'll see, I think Carson Wentz is more than capable of functioning eff effectively within that style. In fact, I think Wentz's mindset is, is more aggressive than not. He does not like to check it down, which has been a problem in his career, by the way. Right. Um, but... I think the overall philosophical approach of this offense fits the way Wentz wants to play more than the true West Coast style. And the one thing, and you, you, you're exactly right, and I remember watching North Turner's offense back in the day, and they do like those intermediate. Yep. And Henry Ellard made a living on some of those deep digs with under North Turner. And um, But so you look at that, and like they have at receiver, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Deami Brown and now Jahan Dotson. Do these receivers mesh well with that, with what they want to do and with Carson Wentz? Well, I think that, um, you know, one thing about Brown, who, who got, you know, meaningful snaps a year ago, but obviously not quite enough to make a, a true judgment. But I thought his last year at North Carolina, he showed a lot more, John, as far as the ability to work the middle of the field. Mm -hmm. I had watched him both his last year and his 
previous year at North Carolina. The previous year, I came away thinking, oh, this guy's an outside-the-numbers receiver. And then his last year at North Carolina, I thought they asked him to do more working on in-breakers and working in the middle of the field, and I thought he handled it well. He, he's a decent-sized receiver. He's not a small receiver. Um, I happen to really like Jahan Dotson's tape from Penn State. I don't know how much you got a chance to see yeah, him. Yeah. Um, I thought, given his size, he was fearless working in the middle of the field. He was willing to go up and get the football. He made a lot of tough catches away from his frame where he needed to extend. I thought there was a physicality and a competitiveness to Jahan Dotson that belied his size. So I think he can do that. Um, you know, McLaurin, in an ideal world, I, I think if you spoke to the coaches, they'd probably tell you in an ideal world that McLaurin is not a true boundary X that they'd like probably to see him more as maybe a movement Z where he goes in motion, can get free access off the ball, get into his speed quicker, but it depends who you have, you know, and you have to play, you know, you have to dance with the girl who brung you, as they right. say. Um, so I think their receiving core has some intriguing parts to it now. Um, I think it will be the off season and training camp for the staff to kind of figure out how those parts fall into place. But I was, I thought Dotson was a really good, um, a good draft choice. I, I'll, I'm in the minority, I'm sure, but everything, as you know, I say is based on tape study. Right. I liked Jahan Dotson just as a receiver. Again, now it gets down to where a receiver goes, but I like Jahan Dotson more than I like Chris Olave. Although I think Olave is in a phenomenal spot because Olave to me is a really nice compliment. And if Michael Thomas returns healthy for New Orleans, I think Olave's in a great, great spot. But if you're just talking about the traits, I happen to like Dotson more. And with that, one of the things that they would talk about Dotson is they felt he was one of the one of the most pro-ready receivers in this draft. And when you I, watch him run his routes, and he had one against Maryland against Nick Cross, where he completely sells an in-breaking route, breaks down to the seam, where it just yep. It was not just turning the head, turning the shoulders, selling it. He does that pretty well. Why do you? What traits do you like of his that suggest that he is that kind of pro-ready receiver? Well, first of all, he can work all three levels of the defense um, with smooth and at times effortless efficiency and instant acceleration. Um, when he had free access off the ball, I thought he was extremely explosive into his routes. Um, he was kind of that desirable combination of, of what we like to say, sudden and smooth. I thought he defeated press coverage effectively, which is something you always look for with college receivers. Sometimes you don't see a ton of that, John, as you know. Right. Um, but I thought when he did face it, he had a he had a plan. You like to see a receiver have a plan because in the NFL, you need a plan. You're going to face better corners and you can't just beat them with your physical skill set. Um, and as I said, the thing that I thought really stood out was I thought his fearlessness and competitiveness working in the middle of the field. To me, that really jumped off the film. Um, and I thought that he, there was a detailed way in which he ran routes. I thought there was a sense of craft and nuance to his route running. And again, you, you're taught more about that when you get to the NFL, clearly. Uh, but I thought he had a clear sense. And it's funny you mentioned that 38-yard touchdown versus Maryland. You know, that was a double move. You know, uh, I think it was sluggo, you know, slant yes. and go. But yes. he showed that stop and start burst and acceleration, which you definitely like to see. Yeah, and he, like I said, I like the way he sells his routes. Yep. Gets the defensive back either to widen or to bite on something. 
And you don't always see that too often. It kind of drives me nuts. You'll see some receivers on some of the inbreakers will turn their head, but they're not really selling the route. You no. just turn your head. He sells the route. What about like, cause they do want to work him in the middle too. With, yep. Because as a slot guy, they're going to use him in the slot a lot. And with Carson Wentz, one of the things they've talked about from last year was with Heineke not being able to attack that area as much, partly because of his height that you, you know, is it harder for him to see how is Wentz in those areas too, on, on the shallow crossers and, and some of those, some of the over the middle routes as well. Well, sometimes it's not just height, although that is a factor. Right, right. And I think that for them, that, yeah. Yeah. That sometimes it's arm strength because right. people, I think have the wrong idea about arm strength. I think oftentimes people see arm strength as how far you can throw the ball. Right. You know, most vertical throws in the NFL, John, as you know, are not arm strength throws. Right. Right. You know, they're, they're not, you know, every once in a while, do you see a ball thrown 50, 55 yards once in a while, but fade balls, even posts, if they're thrown with the right time, the right timing, they're not arm strain throws. Very often it's those middle of the field throws. I remember having a great conversation with Joe Flacco years ago, obviously in his prime, a very strong arm. And Flacco said that the tough throws are when you have to drive the ball between the numbers or between the hashes between people. And those are the arm strain throws. Right. Um, Carson Wentz can make those throws. That Those are the throws that Taylor Heineke is not going to make. Um, so Wentz can make those kinds of throws. And I think those kinds of throws are much more a part of a Scott Turner offense right. than where Wentz has been with much more of the, the sort of West Coast methodology. So when you look at the offense, too, again, we look at the receiver, talk about Wentz. They also added Brian Robinson to the draft to pair with Antonio Gibson. I love Brian Robinson, by the way. Why is that? You know, Brian Robinson to me, and obviously he only played one year as a full-time starter because, you know, uh, obviously Alabama gets five-star back after five-star back. Um, so, you know, Brian Robinson had to wait his turn. But I thought, you know, you lose sight of the fact that this guy's 225 pounds. Yeah. He is a big back. And I thought that, you know, he's he's kind of an urgent, determined, physical, competitive downhill runner. He runs with velocity. He runs with power. Um, he gained hard yards. There was even some stop and start uh, uh, to his game. Um, I wouldn't call him purely explosive, but as you know, John, you know, how many 60 yard touchdown runs by backs do you right. see in the NFL? Right. Right. You know, right. you don't really see that, you know, and I'm very curious to see how this how this plays out. Because I think you're dealing with a situation where my guess is Antonio Gibson, you would know better, you're there every day, has not quite been exactly what they hoped. Um, not that he's a poor back, um, but I think that they expected him, expected a little more as a feature, true foundation back. Um, and it would not surprise me at all if Robinson ends up taking snaps away. And look, I remember Gibson coming out of Memphis. I was obviously wrong, but I thought Gibson, Gibson was better as a slot receiver than he was as a as a true foundation running back. But obviously, that's not the way Washington saw him and maybe other teams saw him as well. But I think Gibson is a really valuable piece. I just don't know if he's truly a 250 carry a year guy. Yeah, I don't know that they think that either. And I think there was some things they saw at the end of the year with him, the way he set up defenders and the way he would hit the hole even like sometimes the defensive back would be there and he'd try to bounce like just run through them they're going right. to attack you and that's what Robinson does there were there was a play against Georgia two plays against Georgia in the national championship game from inside their own five where he gets like three yards should have, should have been a one yard loss 
but because he had this power, legs moving, gets a yep. couple of yards. On the next play, he you know it looked like it was supposed to be supposed to be his own cutting inside the tackle. Tackle loses leverage. He gets the end to widen, the safety to widen, and he cuts back inside and get breaks like four arm tackles. Like the, the, so, I think what they like about him is his understanding of how to run as a running back. Something that they feel Gibson looked like he was getting at the end of the year, but is still learning. Yeah, I I, I really like Ron. I watched every one of his runs from 2020. He only had about 95 of them, and then I watched a ton of them, obviously in 2021, and. I really liked his tape the more I watch. He's the kind of back to me you have to keep watching because he's not necessarily explosive. Plus, the other factor is I think he's a good receiver and I think he's a good pass protector. So, again, I don't know their plan for him. And I knew he wasn't going to be a top 40 pick. But I thought that was a really good draft choice by Washington because uh, I think he's going to get meaningful snaps. And obviously, coming out of Alabama, I'm sure he's been coached at a pretty high level. And I would imagine that uh, there's always more learning to do, obviously, when you get to the NFL. But you're not starting from scratch with him. How good is, can this offense be then with all that? Um, you know, it always obviously comes back to the quarterback. Um, you know, Carson Wentz is one of those guys that I think, look, the talent level is still there. He's he's big. He's physical. He's got a good arm. Um, you know, all I can do is watch the tape. You know, like you, you've probably heard a lot of things about Carson Wentz. Right. You know, I, I'm always always loathe to say those things because I hear them from other people and I'm sure they are true because they're people who know, but you know, I'm, I think it comes down to how he responds to the new offense, to Scott Turner, to Kenny Sambisi. Um, and, and, and Kenny's a really good quarterback coach. He's been doing this a long, long time. I mean, he worked from day one with Carson Palmer, who right. became obviously a really, really good NFL quarterback. Um, so I think, those are the things we don't know yet, but I think that this is an offense that actually has some some pretty good weapons. Um, obviously, it's a bit of a reworked offensive line, so that always takes time. Um, I guess we have to figure out what they plan on doing at the left tackle position. Um, you know, is it going to be Charles Leno? I guess if we were to line up today, it would be, correct? Yeah. Yes, it would be, and I think that's the plan definitely for him right now, yeah, for yeah. The, at least the next year or so. I mean, they've got two new guards. I assume. I assume it's going to be Norwell and Turner at the guard spots. Correct. Assume that. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I thought Cosme, when he played last year, showed that he could be a quality starting right tackle in this league. Um, so, you know, to me, much of this depends on the offensive line, yeah. and, and we don't know the answer to that just yet. Was there a draft pick that made you scratch your head, or another one like because they they took Matt Fedarian Matt the second round, a guy that I think adds a lot of subtleties to their line. Yep. And does things that that others maybe don't do, but it was it was you know was there a draft pick where that left you scratching your head a little bit, or did you kind of like their draft overall? I'm looking at their picks right now. Um, Mathis, I loved his tape, and I guess uh, I guess Deron Payne is not. They did not re-sign him, correct? They haven't extended him. He'll be back this year, um, but they they just haven't extended him yet. And there's questions about whether or not they will be able to. But this certainly covers them if they don't. And plus, the other right. thing, the other thing, Greg, that they really like with Mathis, and I'll ask you about this: what you thoughts, what your thoughts are, is that he, you know, Alabama coaches said told them he was the most selfless player they had, and you see it in the in the in the giving himself up on stunts, etc., yep. and his ability to occupy two blockers. Not that Allen and Payne can't do some of those things, but they're they're going to get they want them to get upfield. 
So this is where this is why they like Mathis is the ability to maybe you know keep the linebackers a little bit more clean and do some of the selfless stuff. That yeah. Looking for. Well, I really like Mathis. Mathis was another player that that he grew on me the more tape I watched. I agree um, with that. He's just a steady guy. Um, he's first of all, Alabama plays multiple fronts, so he lined up in multiple positions right. along the the defensive front that always increases value as you project and transition. So he's front and scheme versatile. He's got size. He's got length. He can two gap. He can one gap. I thought he flashed just enough pass rush traits where you thought that, hey, there's something there. Um, he was very effective in multiple stunt concepts, John, as you indicated. Um, down the road, I think he could develop into a sub front inside pass rusher. That would take a little time. Um, but he's got powerful, heavy hands. He's got a strong anchor. I really liked him a lot. I think there's a lot to unlock and unleash with uh, Federian Mathis. And again, I did not know that about his selflessness. Obviously, you did that research. But I just, you know, and again, who knows if he really comes on strong early and it's evident he's going to be a really good player. Maybe they don't extend pain. I mean, you can't sign right. everybody. Right. And that's the problem with that line because you're going to have Sweat and Young com coming up pretty soon yep. as well. So you can't keep everybody. How do you see Washington stacking up right now in the NFC East? The NFC East to me is a little bit open right now. So I, I think that it's, you know, again, it's, it's early. We're doing this, right, you know, right. Uh, <laughs> right after the schedule came out. I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to cop out on the answer, John, but I don't know how to answer that right now. I mean, I think, look, every team has question marks. I think there's question marks with Washington to see how Carson Wentz plays. I'm curious to see how their receiving core shakes out. We spoke about the, you know, Gibson and Robinson. I'm curious to see how that shakes out. I don't think they know the answers to this right now. Um, I'm curious to see you know, how their corner position shakes out. I really liked Benjamin St. Just coming out of Minnesota. I know he got hurt last year, but he did play meaningful snaps yeah. before then. So I don't know how they see that. Will he end up being an outside starter opposite Jackson? Or, you know, again, I think these are questions that the offseason needs to answer. Um, Jamin Davis, I thought I really liked him coming out of Kentucky. I thought that he struggled a bit last year with what they call key and diagnose. I thought they were, he got better as the year went on, but he needs to continue to get better at that because his size, his length, his athletic skill set tells you that he should be a really good three down linebacker, but he wasn't ready to do that as a rookie. Right. So, you know, I think there's a lot of question mark. And obviously Chase Young did not play last year for the most part. So, you know, whereas the year before that defensive front was among the best in the league, if not the best in the league. So there's too many questions for me to really give you a definitive answer. If all these answers, you know, they won't all be right. ending up in, in right. positive, but if 90% of them do, they could be a very competitive team. Um, just a couple more, and I appreciate your time. Terry McLaurin, the, the, again, contract extension, extension going to be, they're going to work, they're working on that now, and they yep. hope to have one. How do you see him compared to other receivers, especially like in that class? In that class, it's A.J. Brown, it's D.K. Metcalf, it's right. Samuel. How does he stack up with those guys, do you think? Well, he's different because he's smaller, but I think he's very tough and competitive. He's just smaller. Um, and I think that, like I said, he's probably – in an ideal world, not a true boundary X, although he can line up there and has lined up there, obviously, for Washington because they were lacking at the receiver position. Um, I think he's a three-level weapon. 
Um, he's obviously, you know, he has vertical ability. Uh, we saw that when he came out of Ohio State. Um, a lot of people, I think, fell asleep on him because he didn't have big numbers coming out of Ohio State. I think he only caught 35 or 36 balls his last year there. But I think when all said and done, he's he's a pretty complete receiver. He's just not big, um, you know, and his body type is not necessarily big. But I mean, I, he's very good run after catch. You know, obviously he's got that juice. You know, he can catch the slant, the glance routes, and he can take it to the house. I mean, I remember a play. Uh, against the Eagles. I lose track of what year it is. It was a 75 yard touchdown where he caught a yeah. slant, just ran away from everybody. Um, sure. You know, he can do that. I think he's a really good receiver um, and I'm sure they'll resign him. And he's a guy you got to resign. You, you, you can't let him walk. Correct. Um, it's just a matter of working all that stuff out. And that's why we mentioned with pain, you can't resign everybody. So right. you have to decide how you want to do this. And that's why you draft a Fedarian Mathis in the second round, because if he develops the way you believe he will, then if you have to let Darren Payne walk, you feel like you've got his replacement sitting right there on his first contract. Absolutely. Last thing then, how do you, when again, looking at the NFC, so when you Dallas, Philly, the giants, right. Is there a team that you really liked what they've done in the off season so far um, or, or one way or another liked or disliked? Well, I mean, I think with each team, there's certain things you're really like. Let's just focus on Philly. We don't want to go through every single team. I think Philly did some really good things. I think Philly can have, for instance, a really strong front seven on defense, but they've got some significant questions on their back end that need to be answered. And if they don't get answered, then there'll be games, as you know. Look, when you have a weakness in the NFL or, or an area not of strength, you know there's always weeks that that gets exploited. It may not happen every week. It depends on the opponent you're facing, but it gets exploited. And then people get surprised. You know, if you have a weakness, these coaches are good in this league. They exploit it eventually. Um, But I like what Philly did with the A.J. Brown trade. Um, What they're trying to do is surround uh, Jalen Hurts. And obviously, he's still a question as to what he can or cannot be. We don't know that. But I think they're trying to surround him with a lot of weapons so that he can develop to the best that they think he can be. Whether that happens, only time will tell. So every team, you know, a lot of people, you know how this goes, John. I mean, <laughs> this is the way it works. You know, when they made the trade for A.J. Brown and drafted N'Kobe Dean and all that, you know, and, and, and Jordan Davis, it's like, well, the other team to beat. Well, you know, how do we know that? You know, because <laughs> they, like I said, they still have some concerns. I think the Giants are a total unknown because you just don't know right. how Brian Dable will will handle Daniel Jones, who's obviously going to be their starter this year. Um, Jones with the sixth pick in a draft, obviously the same year that Washington took a quarterback. Um, so they like Jones, you know, more than than Haskins, obviously. Um, and we'll see, you know. Dables has a great coaching background. He did an unbelievable job with Josh Allen. We'll see if he can make Daniel Jones a quality starter. It'll probably take some time. Saquon Barkley, to me, is a total unknown at this point. So there's, you know, there's a lot of questions here. Yeah, and and with Dallas, I'll be curious to see the loss of Cooper. Yeah, and how and and you know they they get um, Smith in the first round. I'm just curious to see how that all plays out for them too. So it'll it'll be. Um, be fun to watch. So, Greg, you're the best. I appreciate your time. John, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks to Greg for joining me. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with that mailbag episode. It'll either come out Tuesday night or Wednesday morning. So I'll talk to you next time.